You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we made it to season three. Can't believe it. It's hard to believe. I'm actually, uh, I'm excited for season three. We've got a little different, a uh, few little different things we're doing. Um, if you've been, if you've uh, a dedicated listener, you know we covered the steps uh, in season one. What did we cover in season two? I can't remember. Pamphlets. It's been so. It's been we so long ago. Oh yeah, we did pamphlets <laughs> in season two. That's it. Yeah, and uh, that I think that went well. We got a lot of good feedback on that. So this uh, this season, we're actually taking uh, old comments, funny statements, idioms, whatever you want to call it, from the big book, and we're using those as our episode topics and the paragraph that came from is actually going to be the the topic so we're uh we're excited about it that we got some some cool um titles like this one is uh well i'm not going to tell you what this one is shank will tell you a minute but we're going to do things like uh boiled as an owl frothy emotional appeal my personal favorite is a limitless load that's coming (laughs) Uh, among others, so uh, be on the be on the lookout. And uh, we have uh, we've also surpassed a thousand followers, so we uh, we appreciate that. Thanks for uh, for everyone that's that's hanging in there with us. If you got a question or a suggestion for us, we encourage you to reach out to us at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Or you can hit us up on the gram, or I guess we're on threads now. Yeah, the real question yeah. is, you always say we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Do you have a threads hey, account for the podcast? Listen, we are on threads, and we were given a badge. We were we were like one of the first 100,000. I think they're already up to 30 or 100 million users. We were one of the first 100,000 amazing so we could say we were on the first 100 on threads <laughs> <laughs> perfect right yeah and uh this is going to be a particularly inter- interesting season because if you if you keep up with aa current events you know they're translating the the book alcoholics anonymous into what they call plain language and I think their working title is AA in plain language, a tool for assessing the big book, accessing Ex- the big book. Um, I don't think any of us are too much in favor of that, but we may, uh, we, we may do our own translation this season on some of those terms. So stay tuned. Hey, we're excited to, uh, to have our guest with us today. He, uh, He's a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. His name is Dixon. Dixon, how are you today? Doing good, Jerry. Appreciate you guys having me on. Or Wayne. Yeah, Jerry's good. Jay Wayne, Freak, J-W. Zoid, JW, J-Dubs. Whatever, you, 
Yeah, Jay Dubs. Yeah, broken feather, buck, all that works. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dixon. Okay. All right. Uh, my sobriety date is June second, two thousand seven. Um, I am. Uh, I currently live in Fayetteville. I'm from Fayetteville. Uh, my home group is a Vision for You group. We meet on Tuesdays at seven o'clock, six thirty. Executive place. We just moved to a bigger facility. So excited about that. Um, I uh, my my last drink occurred in the mountains of North Carolina. I had um, I had just been asked to leave the city of Atlanta, the city of Charlotte, the town of Boone, uh, some lady's house in Georgia. <laughs> I'd come back to uh, Fayetteville and wrecked my parents' car there, and they captured me and took me up to uh, their house in the mountains where it was a dry county where they thought they could keep me long enough to get me into a treatment center, which they had done previously one time, that it worked for a little bit. And while I was there, I had escaped with their car and bought as much beer as I could fit in that car and, and stashed it out in the woods. And I was drinking on that beer and I had, uh, they <laughs> nice. took the car from me and um, I got you know caught doing that. And they took the car, but they didn't find the beer. And so I was drinking that beer and I had stolen a golf cart. It was a, it was a golf community. Nice. And I was drinking that beer and um, I asked, I was reaching down for another beer, I think. And I had accidentally drove the golf cart off the side of this i mean it was a legit cliff like it was a hundred foot down cliff type thing and uh the golf cart totaled and i flew out i really didn't get hurt much but i think you know the combination of just uh me destroying my life for the past however long and um and um being in trouble again and 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 i believe a guy that i didn't really you know believe in at the time intervening in my life and um give me some grace to see the truth about myself that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't drink, um, and, and I couldn't not drink. And, and prior to that, and maybe get into it later. Um, you know, I had been trying to stay sober on my own during that period. Um, and I, I had started, started drinking again, maybe a few months prior to my last drink and, uh, and it didn't go well and staying sober on my own didn't go well. And that was, I really kind of surrendered in that first step that I can't drink and I can't not drink. And, um, I, I, what came out of my mouth was I can't do this and I need some help, which, you know, that wasn't something that I said and I, I didn't accept help and I do everything myself. And so really kind of surrendered that day. And, and the second step really kind of worked in my life. And then I, I knew that there was something that could help me. I had been told to go to AA prior to that. And, um, I knew people in the first treatment center that I'd gone to that, uh, had gone to AA and they were still sober and they loved AA and, um, and I just never went because I didn't think that I needed to. I thought that I could do it on my own. And um, and 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 so I believed Alcoholics Anonymous could work. And I I I became willing to go to that treatment center that my parents had fortunately already signed me up for, and um, really turned my my will and life over to the care of that treatment center. And I made a decision I was going to do whatever they told me to do. I wasn't going to think for myself and try to figure it out anymore. And um, paid that treatment center. I didn't pay my parents paid that treatment center a lot of money to tell me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and get a sponsor and go to meetings. And they told me to go to a halfway house and I didn't want to do any of that, but the first step was working in my life and, and I did it anyway. Cause I didn't want to go back to that place that I came from. And I went to a halfway house and, um, we were required to go to meetings every day. And, uh, you know, the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous really happened for me when I, when I went to, uh, got, I didn't really like before and after the meeting I was, um, violently uh, kind of antisocial and a lot of social anxiety and full of fear and worried about what people are thinking of me. And, um, 
And so before and after wasn't especially comfortable. I smoked a lot of cigarettes as quick as I could. And, um, but yeah. once I got in there, the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous happened. And um, I was in a place where I felt comfortable with people who were like me and felt like I belonged. And, and I just, you know, I kept trying to just make it there every day. And, and those people encouraged me and encouraged me to get a sponsor, which, uh, which I did, you know, who, who led me through the steps and had just continued to follow that, that path of, um, and, and continue to be teachable and accept help and have had good sponsors and um and good groups and a lot of people that um that that they got put in my path to uh to help me. Hmm. Thanks, Dixon. We're glad you got sober. Yep, we're all safer. Now when <laughs> it definitely is safer. Golf carts are too. <laughs> yep. Now you weren't trying to catch up with Tiger Woods, were you, when you were out there? Actually, I guess he caught up to you because he wrecked a few after you did. That's right. It was yes. a similar kind of crash scene. <laughs> I recognized it when I saw it. All right. Did you develop that impeccable coat of tan that one sees upon the well to do? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't remember. Uh, you don't remember. That's a good answer. All right. Sh Shank, what's our uh, topic today? Today, our topic is the goose hung high. Hmm. So I'm going to read where this comes from in the big book and um, maybe put my own little spin on it here. So this is on page seven in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. If you want to look it up, that's from the fourth edition, 2001, just right. for everyone listening. Um, it says it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. So, I mean, for me, you know, there have been times that even on this podcast, I've had no idea what we were talking about or what it meant. And I can fully admit that I've still been able to stay sober. Um, this, you know, uh, this idiom, if you will conveys the idea of abundance or plenty so the goose hung high i think like reading this the context is kind of there even i could understand like that that meant times were good right um what do you think about that jerry well i like it when the goose hangs high i i uh i think it's actually a pretty uh self-explanatory term I, I'm, I'm interested to hear Dixon's experience on if he was able to stay sober on self-knowledge or when he had a little bit of money, if that helped him stay sober, probably not. But, uh, what, what do you think about when you hear that paragraph Dixon? Well, I had to look it up first of all. I mean, I always just assumed I knew what it <laughs> meant, but I never really knew where it, where it came from. What does that right. really mean? If you're hanging high. So what, I got a couple answers. One was that in fair in fair weather, a goose will fly higher. And if it's bad weather, they'll kind of fly low. And so if the goose is flying high, then it's that's that's 
the saying is that the goose hung high in fair weather. And, and the other explanation ah. was that nice. they'll hang a they'll hang a goose high up in the in in the barn before they you know kind of eat it to dry out or whatever. So there was there was you know plenty of food or whatever. So anyway, right. so anyway, um, my experience with that was, and you know, I was in a a detox today with people, and I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that answer is that. I know what the problem is now and I'm not going to do it. And I don't feel like drinking. I feel better. You know, I've been in this treatment center. They've been feeding me good. I've been lifting weights. The girls are starting to look at me. I don't feel like drinking. I'm not thinking about drinking. So why would I drink? And the right. book, our book says, this is the baffling feature of alcoholism, the inability to leave it alone, no matter how, how much you need to or want to. And I mean, that was my experience is that now you could, there's an asterisk here on my sobriety during this period, but I, when I was 21, my parents sent me to a treatment center. I decided I wasn't going to drink again from, from there on out, and uh, I didn't for the next two years. Now, I was taking some amphetamines, probably uh, much more than prescribed, <laughs> so you could argue that I was not sober during that period, but I wasn't drinking, right. which is mm -hmm. my favorite thing to do. And so I made it a couple of years just kind of white-knuckling and gripping my teeth. And so what I can tell you is, is that um, not – I didn't know that that's how I was feeling then. I thought I was feeling great. So that's, that's kind of the trouble is, is compared to now I, I, you know, I was miserable then, but, but then I would have told you I was doing great, that I felt great, that uh, I had gotten a girlfriend. I had gotten a dog. Um, I went back to school. I graduated. I went back to the, you know, I was going back to the gym. I was playing sports again, yeah. going back to church, doing all. I mean, it sounds like it would keep you from drinking. Like I felt better. I hadn't done it for a couple of years. And and then one day I'm sitting in the hotel lobby and, um, you know, waiting for the girlfriend to get back to work from work. And, um, you know, I just, uh, it was happy hour across the, the hall and they were having a good time. And it was the boy whistling in the dark that I wasn't happy about my sobriety. And I wished that I could drink again and I missed it. And I'd believe anything you told me at, at that point and did, you know, that it would maybe be different, you know, and that's, that's what happened to me is I, I ended up, you know, believing that lie that maybe it could be different if I try, try real hard to have two or three. And, um, and you, you know, you know, you know, by having me on the guest that I didn't have two or two or three. So. Um, so you would say uh, you were not able to stay sober on willpower alone. I was not. I gave it everything that I had. I can tell you there was no way I was coming Alcoholics Anonymous before I tried everything. That um, yeah. I I did not like people. Um, I didn't like you know there, there was there was just no way that I was going to come here without trying everything that I had to give it everything that I, you know that I had to um, stay sober on my own. So this is the last place I was coming. This last place there was, and uh, you know I had to I had to find out on my own that I couldn't do it. I remember when I was in the, um, I was in the hospital on the second suicide attempt. Was this when you were using someone else's name? I was, yes, okay. I, yes. Uh, I can back up. I was in the hospital on under somebody else's name because somebody was trying to uh, hide the fact that I was in the hospital. <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, I had, when I was in there, I had several, like a doctor talked to me and I think it was some kind of social worker or something that comes around and talks to you. And I remember it was just devastating to me and to my family, what had happened. And I can remember thinking that 
when I got out of that hospital that I had gained enough knowledge from the experience of like almost dying and, you know, coming back and the ex and then they had given me enough knowledge about, you know, Hey man, you got to slow down. You need to stop this. I really thought when I got out of the hospital that that knowledge and that experience of almost dying was going to be sufficient to change my life. And the, the baffling thing about alcoholism is that it looks like that, you know, that, that, that would fix you or that would, that would be a deterrent from drinking. And even family and friends, they think that, well, man, he went through this experience. There's no way he's going to go back to living like that. And, you know, it's just like the, the literature says, I was out of the hospital about three days. And the idea that I could drink a, a pony Budweiser instead of a tall boy, as long as I ate a Slim Jim before to coat my stomach, that that seemed like a good idea. And so I, I mean, I, and that's what I did. I started back right back drinking three days out of the hospital. And so I know now I've got other experiences, but I, I mean, I, I reflect back on that, that there's no you know self-knowledge and trying to recall past experiences. If you're alcoholic, they, they will not work. And, you know, I was always under the assumption too inside that, man, if I just had enough money or if I lived in the right place or if I had the right person with me or the right job, things would be better and different in my life. And then I wouldn't drink, but it never worked. It never worked. Shank, maybe what do you think uh, about another. That? Go ahead, Dixon. I was just going to make another point there that, that I've always tried to point out and when it talks about self-knowledge is uh, knowledge of the solution isn't going to keep us over either. We don't do correct. With it. Yep. Yeah. That's even worse. I just have a lot of knowledge about the solution and not being willing to do it. And yeah, just knowing you can't drink, ain't going to stop you from drinking. Yep. Here's one for you, Shank. If all your needs get met, you think you can stay sober? Listen, I don't um, have an answer to that, but because uh, all your needs have never been met. Correct. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, one thing that I respect about um, a lot of people that I know in AA is they did not get stripped of everything, of all of their rights, of everything that they have. They've had family that's willing to help them. They've been well-educated to college, like whatever you want to name, just because that was not my experience. You know, those people were still alcoholics. And I think it's interesting in the book where it talks about, you know, it may be true of non-alcoholic people that they can stop when they have consequences. You know, it was it was brought to my attention by an attorney when I had committed <laughs> some crimes and was going to prison. You know, he said, well, you haven't had a drink since that day. Like, I don't think that you need to like, yeah, that's great. We'll use it in court. You're going to AA. Um, but I don't think you're an alcoholic. Like, you're 24. This was just something that was horrible. And he said that in front of family members. So, you know, I kind of look at this in terms of it's been really hard for my family to it to accept I'm an alcoholic because what they have seen is 
I committed all these crimes. I knew I was going to prison. I did not drink from that point forward. And it was not on willpower or self-knowledge or having my needs met. I didn't have any of those things. You know, I just was, I think fear sobered me up for a little bit Mm -hmm. for the week's time between, you know, committing these crimes and then going to treatment. You know, I was told, hey, don't drink or you may not be able to get in this treatment center. And I was told you need to go to treatment. So, like, I was out of ideas, you know, and I had no I had never heard of AA. I didn't have any willpower. I had less than I had nil. And, um, you know, I do think that it was because I cried out for God and he led me where I needed to go and helped me through that time. But it was certainly not because I had any knowledge. And then once I got some knowledge, I've never thought maybe I'm not an alcoholic, you know, but I have thought, you know, at times, like, why do I have to do so much in Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober and other people don't? Yeah, it's a good question. I like I like the this one reading out of the book. It says the minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. So that would imply that something more than fear and self-knowledge, I think fear and self-knowledge can get you here, but it, it won't keep you here. There's some mm-hmm. shrapnel for you. The, uh, <laughs> so the, you know, the, 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 the book's clear and our steps are clear that we've got to have a spiritual experience and we've got to find a power greater in ourselves. Um, what do you think about that, Dixon? Yeah, I can tell you my material needs were met. I mean, I, I had the girlfriend and, and a car and a place to stay. And she had a job. I didn't have to get one. Whoa. I was living life. Nice. Yeah. But, you know, emotionally and spiritually, I was still bankrupt. And I didn't have the power to 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 make those things right. And I think that's what our steps and, and our literature talk about. And the place in the book that, that stuck out to me is, is that when we straighten out spiritually, we'll straighten out mentally and physically. And um, I was doing some spiritual things, but, but I didn't have enough power. I didn't have enough. I didn't have any accountability. I wasn't doing any sort of service. I wasn't doing any of the things that we do that I've been uh, taught to do in Alcoholics Anonymous to have that spiritual experience and that change and to continue um, that change. And so, you know, one of the principles that I've learned in, in the steps is that I don't, yeah, I don't even know what my needs are. I don't even know what's best for me or in, anybody else, um, which is my real problem. And and when I start thinking about myself and my needs and trying to meet those, that's that's when I'm in the worst shape. It seems. Mm-hmm. So we should just try to help other people. Worry about kind of what it sounds like. Not Gotta take some trust, action. Trust, trust God, help others. It says here so that. Shrapnel. So Dixon, if you had to change this, rewrite this phrase, the goose hung high in today's terms, something that relates to you, 
what would you say? Ah, that's a good question. Ordinary, plain, ordinary language. Just something that kind of relates to you or like, wow, I was trying to think before the podcast, like, what is something, you know, I would say instead of the goose hung high, I'm not convinced that people just went around saying terms like this back (laughs) then either. I think it sounds flowery and nice and very intelligent to put in the book, but I don't have anything to back that up. You don't think they were using it in the 30s like often? I mean, sometimes, but I grew up in the mountains, so there are plenty of sayings and idioms that are used that other people do not understand, I assure you. If you talk about cat heads, people don't know (laughs) what that means around here. Right. The goose hung high, Dixon. What do you got? I don't, I don't know that I have much. I mean, I, you know, um, I've, I've always interpreted it as, uh, you know, think things are going good. You know, I got it going on, you know? Oh, well, I got it going on. I like there that one. Go. Yep. Got it going on. Use that. And your plain ordinary translation. I got it going, I got it going on. on. I talked to a guy in detox Ooh. the other day who found a girlfriend in detox and he thought he had it going on. Maybe mm. like all that in a bag of chips. Hey, there yeah. you go. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, how about the pantry is full? <laughs> huh? Uh, my fridge is fully stocked with LaCroix. There you go. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the fridge is fully stocked. Got plenty of Red Bull and LaCroix on tap. Oh, man. So I guess that what Bill's really talking about in that paragraph is that doesn't matter how much money you got or where you live or what's going on that if you don't do something other than get full of self-knowledge, you're not going to be able to stay sober. I think he, it's interesting that he, he mentions it in that paragraph. It's in the book, several other spots that, when it comes to willpower, alcoholics actually have a lot of willpower when it comes to other aspects of their life sometimes. So I think that's another one of the kind of the, the puzzling things to an alcoholic is, Hey, I'm able to, you know, some people are able to show up for work every day. Some people are able to finish school or, you know, they're, they're able to, do other things, but then when it comes to not drinking, they, they don't have any willpower. So that's another, you know, baffling thing about the, the illness is that how do you fix that? I didn't ever call out of work. Right. I never made it. <laughs> you didn't have, you didn't have a job. Your girlfriend did. Love yeah, it. That's right. Oh, man. I would show up for roll call and I'd have the uni- same uniform one I wore the day before, maybe even two days before that. And oh my gosh. If I could just get through that about 15 minute thing, I would go back out to the car and fall asleep or pass out or go on the, up and hide in the tail section of the C-130 airplane and pass out. But I showed up. You were Couldn't there. Congratulations. There. Yep. <laughs> So it's basically talking about step one. We're powerless over alcohol. Lives are unmanageable. And we need more than just self-will, self-knowledge, and material things. So 
book's pretty clear. If we take care of our spiritual life, the other stuff follows, never precedes it. Well, and, you know, that's one of the things that I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, like we're told that a healthy functioning group is a cross-section of our community, which means we're not all going to be the same. We're not all going to have the same background, same, you know, leisures in life, if you will. And I love that because I've learned how to be a part of my community and be able to rub shoulders with people that make a lot more money than me or who don't have as much as I do. And we're all equal in AA. Mm -hmm. I needed to learn how to do that. Yes. Shank, what do you think about a uh, big book shrapnel? All right. Tell us we're what moving we're moving along. Explain what we're doing. So, in the previous two seasons, we have had um, meeting shrapnel. So, that has been lore, myth, and sayings directly that we hear in meetings. So, because we're doing like the idioms in the big book or the sayings in the big book that may or may not be rewritten in um, upcoming no, fifth edition, translated. Oh. It's a translation. Translated. Get it straight. My bad. That's oh, because yeah, I are not rewriting. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm not college educated. Um, now we have big book shrapnel. So please let us know on the Instagram or threads or whatever we have going on now. If you like our big book shrapnel, what we're going to do are these are sayings that are directly taken from the big book. And we had some contenders for titles. We had a lot of contenders, but some of these are ones that didn't necessarily make it for a full episode. Um, but they are sayings taken from the big book. So we're going to keep or scrap, or we can keep or rewrite. What do you What do you guys think? Oh yeah, I, I like. Or it. translate. Tra translate. Translate. Okay. Yeah. What's so the first one? We'll keep or translate. The first one is from page three, also in Bill's story. I became a lone wolf. Mm. What do you think, Dixon? Dixon? What, what do you think about that one, Dixon? I became a lone wolf. So this is one, that's one of the lines that I underlined when I was going through Bill's story, you know, the first time and times after that, that I identified with. Um, that I was kind of all, all by myself in, in the end. But I started thinking about it er earlier today and um, you know, wolf traveling packs, right? They're not typically alone. And I guess maybe that makes sense is, is, is that, you know, I wasn't really supposed to be all, all by, I'd work pretty hard to get all by myself. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I like it. It doesn't seem like it's that outdated of a term. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I don't think it's outdated at all. I, I actually, I like it personally. That well, let me read to y'all um, the sentence that it comes from. Yeah, let's see what we got. It says, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. Yeah, remonstrances might not make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Is it remonstrances or remonstrances? I don't know. We don't know? What is it, Dixon? You're you're smarter than both of us. What do you got? I've always said remonstrances. I'm just, I don't know where Hey, we're going to default to you. You got that Ivy League education, not us. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't go to class. (laughs) Listen, I've been corrected on this podcast before. Don't. Don't feel bad for correcting me again. You sure have. <laughs> so, so, what does that mean? That he got drunk and pissed people off and they quit being his friend or terminated in a row? Hey, I always was a lone wolf. Even Until before you I got st- sober. Even before <laughs> I started drinking, I. I'd hide out in closets and out in the woods by myself and, you know, preferred being by myself, mostly out of fear and worrying about what people thought. Um, but even when I, you know, started drinking, sometimes I'd get so daggone wild and crazy, people didn't even want to be around me. Hmm. And then later on, I just pretty much by myself. So I, I think it's a term that people immediately know what it means. Probably can identify with it pretty good. Well, to to Dixon's point, you know, uh, if wolves travel in packs, then if you're if you're becoming a lone wolf, then you're withdrawing from those group activities, from that pack, from that yep. social connections. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, do y'all want to keep this one or shall we translate it? <laughs> you could argue now that even even today, since I know both of y'all very well, we're the three of us are still lone wolves in some aspects because we kind of answer to ourselves or just to a few people and we kind of we we don't we don't wait for people to do stuff we just do stuff and kind of get the job done regardless of what other people are doing i don't mean that as a negative thing i think in some cases it's a good thing um so anyway shank you had a question it sounds like you're in favor of keeping it i am I'm okay. curious what would a um, I don't know what another term would be for. It's pretty, it's a pretty good term. Dixon, what are you thinking? I love it. Keep it. Not sure about remonstrances. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how yeah. did you how did you say it? I said it your way. I'm I'm on board. No, how Remin- you say it remonstrances or something? Remin- remonstrances. <laughs> 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 We'll take I don't know. Okay. We may Either, have to bring it back up. We're, we will. Uh, okay, so I'm in favor of keeping it, too. I really like this one. All right, um, we're keeping, keeping it. Yeah. What's we next? may have to revisit if we Remonst- keep remonstrances. Remonstrances, yeah. All right, next up, Big Book Shrapnel number two. I made a host of fair weather friends. Oh. 
This is also from Bill's story, page three. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. Dixon, what do you think we about that one? <laughs> I don't know that I had any fair-weather friends. I didn't have a lot of friends in general. Um, when I hear that, I think about maybe if somebody's got a lot of money, people are hang hanging around them for that reason. That wasn't necessarily my situation, so maybe that was part of it. But I think it more maybe applies to like people who uh, drank like I did. <clears throat> Normal people, they would drink with me maybe once, but not a second time. Yeah. <laughs> and so you end up with those people that drink like you do. And, and um, you know, certainly when you get sober, those, those people aren't your friends anymore. It makes them feel bad. Uh, so I, I, I think it... I think it applies in, in terms of it applying to me, that's more how it would apply. What do you Shank, think, Jay Wayne? You got any fair weather friends, Shank? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me You're either, either in or out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand. In, I think Go in ahead. the first season, uh, one of our guests, Debbie, I was talking about, or Deb, I can't remember what she went by on the podcast, but I was talking about how, um, what were we talking about? Character defects and being very direct and just very, uh, what some people may say aggressive Yeah, uh, was a character defect. And I just will never forget it because she was like, hey, you don't get to decide if that's a defect or... She did say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Of course, I'll always remember that because that's the way I've always felt about it. She just confirmed that for me. Um, so, fair weather friends. Um, I don't really, I don't really think I had those. Yeah, I didn't have any. It's funny if you're a lone wolf, how can you have fair weather friends? If you think through that, um, I guess it could be different stages of your of your life or alcoholism. But I believe yeah. this was before. Yeah, he was. He he yes. became a lone wolf after he had the Fairweather Friends. I think you're right about that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know there were times where I, yeah, maybe had a bunch of liquor and a, you know, a big sack of cocaine and people would kind of seek me out and, you know, for a fix or whatever, but I didn't have any Fairweather Friends. I mean, I'm kind of like y'all that people that did end up hanging out with me it was it was short-lived they didn't want to have much to do with me after they saw how i acted um so i guess i could say i've had more fair weather friends sober than i did when i was drinking yep people come out and hang out with you just to get stuff from you or to, to you know to get some some suggestions or one thing or another and then just to be in the presence of the when they, cherry. When they get what they need, they're gone. So that's, I guess that's, that's fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. So uh, to Dixon's point earlier about the goose hung high, fair weather friends, favorable conditions, you know, 
they're around when you have to your point jerry the booze the drugs the something yeah the party i don't know yeah. mm -hmm. and you know what's funny it just hit me like so when you hear this a lot of times when people first get sober i thought it man what am i going to do about all my all those all my friends or when they come around they're wanting to drink and it you're like consumed with what's going to happen and i don't know about anybody else but when i got sober i mean nobody came around i mean it, it was a non-issue so do y'all want to keep it or translate it What's well to me it's I mean it's not an outdated translation, Fairweather Friends, right? Um and it was true for Bill, because he had a bunch of money. Um I guess that was his situation. <laughs> Wasn't really true for us. But I don't know that you take it out of the book because we don't quite identify with it. All right, yeah. so we have one for keeping. Um, I think I, I think we keep it. The only thing I would say to Dixon is that the, the conference spoke. They're they're translating some stuff, so just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. So, uh, what's a what's a translation? A potential translation, Shane. Well, I don't know that this would be a translation necessarily. But um, maybe fickle friends. Fickle friends. Or, you know, some people online will have the max number of followers or like friends on Facebook or Instagram followers. Or I'm not anywhere close to that, never will be. But um, so I don't know how many it is, but people who just want to look at the highlight reel. I've actually, that's a good point. I've actually seen some people use the term on social media, fairweather friends or fair, fairweather followers. Um, mm -hmm. I think we keep it. Keep it. All right. What do you think, Shank? Keep it. We're keeping it. All right. So What's big next? book shrapnel number three, my personal favorite. We have indulged in spiritual intoxication. Yes! This is from page Ooh. 128 in the fa family afterward. Many of us have experienced dad's elation. We have indulged in spiritual intoxication. Nice. Dixon? Hmm. Yeah, that one's that one's a bit much. It feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would like but this one. I do. I do like it. I do like it. But it does feel like a bit of a uh, exaggeration in terms of uh, in terms of the, the word usage. <laughs> what I will say is that you should probably just let Father have his head. gotta love dixon he's he's <laughs> quiet and just kind of unassuming and all of a sudden he throws one out at you 
Let Father have his head. Love it. We got to write that down, Shane. Yep. That may be the translation here. We just add that in there. Spiritual intoxication. So it seems like in the family afterward where it's talking about this, it's referencing, you know, dad finding a power greater than himself. And um, it goes on to say, I believe in this part, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we can join in. Um, maybe that's in a different part in the book, but uh, in like morning meditations, but it's talking about the family getting involved. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Dixon. Good. I was just going to say, I think it's, is it the part where it's talking about, and it may mention that after or before, but it's talking about that the father starts trying to force everybody into his way of seeing things because he's real spiritual now and he's got it all figured out and knows everything. It's kind of spiritual pride and he's trying to kind of force it on other people instead of being a spiritual demonstration and attraction. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get my brand of spirituality while there's while there's yet time. I think it says something <laughs> like that. So it's the guy that gets sober and he's all of a sudden a spiritual guru and, you know, he, He's, he's forcing his spiritual beliefs and stuff on other people. I, I did this when I got sober. I can oh, remember. Me too. I can remember taking a trip, a road trip up to D.C. with my mom and two sisters and a brother. We were going to see my grandmother, and I had this tape of this priest that had gotten sober in AA, and he gave this talk just on acceptance. I put that thing in. It was a cassette tape. I put it in there, and I was like, "Now listen, you all need to listen to this right here, and you need to get on board with it. This is the this is the deal right here." They looked at me like I was crazy as hell. Um, so, spiritual intoxication is temporary. It does not last forever. So. Are both of y'all in favor of translating? I figured that this may happen, so I may have a couple of translations ready for you. Let's hear the translations. Dixon, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think that one's going to make it through the translation committee without getting changed. Oh, you're going to love my translations. What you got? All right. Translation number one. Spiritual ecstasy. Ooh. Spiritual yeah. ecstasy. Is that above intoxication? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the next one that you have what to you choose got? from. Spiritual rapture. <laughs> Ooh. Spiritual right. rapture. Well, they're all kind of dramatic, aren't they? Yeah. Rapture. Spiritual rapture, spiritual ecstasy, spiritual intoxication. Huh. Dixon, what do you think? <laughs> I think they're all pretty similar. I don't think, um, I like, I like all of them. 
but I think all of them will get translated mm-hmm. into something plain. None of those is plain. True. But I like them. I don't know. I, I like can see spirit. Best. Do you? Yeah, I'm not sure what it means, but I like it. <laughs> I could see spiritual ecstasy making the translation. Well, I'm not a drug addict, so I'm not exactly sure what that means. Not either. Well, if you're as old as I am, you call it MDA. It's not called <laughs> ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do kind of like that um, it drives home the point that dad is being like absolutely on the mountaintop shouting, trying to get everyone else on board. Because I do believe um, when I was incarcerated and I found a higher power, I mean, uh, most everyone gets religion um, when you're incarcerated. So it wasn't that difficult to bring people on board to my brand because it was like the brand if you will but uh, certainly not what AA teaches so I was just trying to tell everyone this is kind of how God works in my life in AA and we're all here together so I've seen you in church basically we believe the same thing and let's do it in AA Yeah. so I don't know spiritual intoxication may actually fit for that it, it, it probably does and if you think about somebody that comes in and they get they get kind of struck sober and find God quickly and they're uh, they're high on God and they're kind of imposing that on people, the term spiritual intoxication probably would work to describe it to them. But it yeah. sounds like to me the verbiage from someone who was an atheist or agnostic prior to, which none of us were, so we're just like, oh right. yeah, religious stuff, whatever. It's right. not that big a deal, but I think for some people it like really is. It seems like whoa. All right, I'm gonna go with spiritual intoxication, Dixon. All right, you're keeping it. What do you think? Dixon? I'm gonna keep it. Yeah, I'm gonna keep it. I'm I'm gonna have a tough time overturning anything in the book. I'm being honest with you. All yeah. right, I'm gonna well, keep it as well. Keep it, Shank. Three out of three. All right. Make note, all the listeners, we did not scrap any of the big book shrapnel yet. <laughs> and we not don't like yet. any of the plain language uh, translations either. So We haven't translated any of it yet. Nope. Dixon, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. And uh, hopefully the goose is hanging high for you in your life today. <laughs> it'll, it'll keep flying high. And um, if you're out there listening, remember, Alcoholics Anonymous can help you to be free. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.